This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Great stuff. Uh, we're busy with a series these three weeks on God's burden bearers. Okay, to be a burden bearer for God or to take the yoke of Christ in our lives. And um, normally when we think of burdens, we think like, oh, don't give me a burden. Okay, But the burden that the world gives us and the burden that God gives us is completely something different. Uh, when you take up the burden of God, and we're going to look at that quickly, just recap a little bit. Um, it's, a, it's a yoke that is easy. It's actually, Jesus spoke about it, he says we can enter into his rest by taking his burden and his yoke upon us. Now a lot of people want to give their burdens that the world gives, that we give it to God. But then we don't want to take God's burden onto our lives. And you will never be fulfilled. You will go to heaven and love Jesus and that's great. To have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. And that's where it starts, we connect it into the vine. But there are a group of Christians that's putting up their hands and say hey there's there's more than this you know there's more than life you know this past week uh, it was golden week at the university and that means that they try to get themselves drunk every night of the week okay so all the razors all this stuff you've probably read the news don't believe everything in the news there's much more that happened behind the scenes you know there's much much more rituals and stuff because one of the strongholds over our town is bachas it's a drinking spirit okay and, um, and that's just part of this community that we're in. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear a student that dies, then, then I get very angry. <laughs> I get very angry at the university and the status quo and the stuff that's happening around us. It, it moves me. I'm, I'm just, there's a holy anger this whole week. I was just like, Lord, how many people must still die in our town? You know, how, how much can this go on? You know, and then... You can have obviously a fleshly anger or you can have a holy anger or you can just go on with your life and say, oh, it doesn't really faze me, but it's going to be your kid one day that needs to come to this university. And if we don't take a stop, if we don't take a stand spiritually, what's going to happen 20 years from now? You know? So it must, it must burden us. <laughs> you know, there's some burdens that we as Christians just can't take up, but it's, not, it's, not, it's like a holy anger. It's a beautiful anger. So I'm going to get back to that at the end. So we were speaking about three different people last week we started with Amos this prophet his name was the burden bearer and uh, and he went back to Israel the northern kingdom and he prophesied because they were very fortunate they were prospering lots of things were happening um, and the Israelites thought well the fact that God is prospering us means that it's a sign from God and it wasn't and Amos's whole message this little farmer came back and he said hey um, it's time to turn back. So he spoke about the heart's issues and the, the things, how the, even the blessings in our lives can become an idol. So it was a bit of a tough message. And then the evening, last Sunday evening, we spoke about Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah had a different burden on his life. He had a burden to restore the walls of Jerusalem. He was in the king's palace, saw the beautiful stuff around him, and he was very comfortable. And then he heard the rumors of what's happening in the Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity has been taken and broken down to the ground and he begins to weep before the throne of God. He says, God, how can, if, even if I'm so blessed, yeah, how, can, how can I stand before you if Jerusalem is in ruins? 
And then from there, we, we saw the story of, of Nehemiah rebuilding. You know, it's a beautiful story for our time. Is Ezra and Nehemiah. You must actually read it together. And the, the context of these two people that God would raise up. And even how God uh, used, you know, non, non-Jewish kings and people to come and bless Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah understood something of restoration. You know, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I think like, Lord, restore your church. Restore your church back to the book of Acts. <laughs> Lord, um, we are so broken. We're just a bunch of broken people coming together. And so he was this cup bearer or the comforter. Um, and so I'm going to jump a couple of slides. So if you are right there at the back. But I, I wanna, there were five things I want to just quickly talk about. Just to recap, for those of you who don't come to the evening services, because we're going to look at six different characters over these three weeks. People that would carry the burden of the Lord. But there are certain enemies of that will, or the burden of God for your life. And in Nehemiah's life, I'm just recapping, you can like take the photo if you want to, it's on slide number six. Uh, the first one was unbelief. And the second one was fear. The third one was distraction. Through Nehemiah wanting to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, some people came and just said, no, no, you are, what are you doing, you know? Who do you think you are, yeah? Who do you think Shofar is, you know? Ah, oh, you know, just a bunch of ordinary people. Yeah, you know? But unbelief is, is pervasive in our society, where people just say like, oh, let me just, I'm not, I'm not going to apply faith anymore because, hey, I've, I've read that story, I've been there, I've prayed, and things didn't happen, and so, you know? So, so the first thing that always comes is the devil says, did God really say? Did God really say this in your life? And that was the challenge Nehemiah faced. The second thing he had to face was fear or intimidation. If you have got a pen, I want you to write these five things down because we're going to pray for it at the end. Okay, because sometimes the devil comes in each one of our lives and he wants to tempt us or he wants to keep us out of the will of God by bringing one of these five things. You know, so what happened in Nehemiah's life is the Send ballot and these guys came and say, No, 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 you know, we're gonna we're gonna destroy you. Who are you? You know, who are you to actually stand up? Who are you to have faith? <laughs> and they try to like even threat them with violence and say, We we're gonna come for you. We we're gonna take you out, you know. You're gonna die young, you know. You're gonna do this. Oh, you're never gonna make it. Your business is gonna fail. You're gonna the, the devil is such a slap foot. What is that in English? A slave uh, feet, you know? Um, he's just like he tries always at the back door he tries to intimidate us so when we were in indonesia i told you the story we um can't remember if it was in the morning or the evening we stayed in this beautiful house place and now we going around from island to island to reach out to these islands and and to see what god is doing and so so just after we left this one this whole house burned down that we were in you know so i'm thinking like that's so typical you know we come here for the first time want to spread the gospel um and you know first like western people there for probably a hundred years you know and we bring the good news and then the devil tries to like say yeah yeah i'm gonna have the last say in your life you know and we're so lucky just to stand up and to say no <laughs> devil you don't have the last say god always has the last say he's got the first say and the last say you want to distort the sounds a little bit but you're not going to get it right you know but that's how he tries he tries to intimidate intimidate us and say yeah yeah but because your life looks like this who are you to pray because look at you know intimidation and then the big one probably in our society here in Stellenbosch specifically is distractions you know, too many things to do too many places to go too much busyness in our lives 
we get distracted so that we don't do the will of God. That's the purpose of those distractions in your life. Is that you never say yes to that call, that burden, that will of God for you. And, and if you're not going there, then it's like, oh, I'm just going to be so busy with this. And oh, then it's this, um, the Old Testament talks about, you know, the little foxes that come in to destroy the vineyard. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm just so busy with this, you know. And once I build this, then I'm going to serve God fully. But St. Ballot, don't call your kids St. Ballot and Tobias. Tobias, Tobias is quite a nice name, but St. Ballot, not so good, you know. And they, they said to, to, to Nehemiah, get off the wall, come, let's just have a conversation here, you know. And that just forced Nehemiah to say, no, 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 take a sword in the one hand, spear in the one hand, and a building truffle on the other side. We're going to build and we're going to fight, you know. Take the position on the wall. The fourth thing was discouragement. A lot of Christians, especially in the West, are, I'm just recapping, are you still right there, okay? Discouragement. There was a lot of discouragement that came in. Just like, who are you? Shemaiah was this one guy, and he came with a whole conspiracy theory. It's pyramid scheme in the Bible. <laughs> okay? Just like, wow, you know? And then finally, the last one that he did, and this is a whole sermon on its own that I did last Sunday night, so if you missed out, listen to it, but it's called division. Just wanting to divide us. Why? Because the devil knows the power of agreement. When Christians agree on the purposes of God. Wow. That's why worship is so amazing, you know. Worship isn't just about me having a great time with the Lord here this morning. But when we worship and when we praise Jesus' blood. When we sing about that thing, it's all about our agreement. Coming to agree, not just over our lives, but over Stellenbosch, who Jesus is. So corporate worship is so prophetic. It is so important. It is, it is an act of warfare. <laughs> because we think worship is just about me. That's why we change all the songs, not to I and me, but to us and we. <laughs> because when the church, when we begin to understand coming together in agreement and saying and praying the same thing and dreaming the same thing, nothing, nothing what we ask will not happen in this town. Amen? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Okay, there's at least five people on this side that it's not cold that are enthusiastically inspired. Okay, so let's go back to the theme scripture. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, why are you smiling like that? I'm, I'm just, I, I love that smile on your face. It's obviously because of the word of God that's really like exciting us. So this is what, what we read last week, Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is our theme scripture. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All who has got burdens of the world, all who work very hard, all who, even in the kingdom of God. And I will give you rest. So the invitation is to come. The invitation is God wants to give us rest. So I always thought like rest is an absence of doing anything. Let's go rest. Woo, you know, <laughs> sit at the sea for two weeks. That's normally the idea of rest. But the scriptural idea of rest is to take up the yoke and the burden of the Lord is to be in that sweet spot with the Lord, to be in that place with God, intimately with Him, but then yoking together with Him, walking with Him, okay? So that's what he says. The first invitation is always come to God. Come, bring, bring your burdens, bring the heavy ladens, bring the worries, bring the intimidation, bring the distraction, bring the division. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage, but bring it to me. He says, come. You must always come first to God. Before we go, before we try to do anything, First come and be with God. 
But he says, come in a specific way because the promise I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you rest. But as you come in that place of rest, then certain things need to happen. You need to take his yoke upon you. That's what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, this, is, this isn't like a fit, one size fits all and voila, you've arrived, wonderful, you're in the place of rest. He says, it's going to be a learning process. And whether you're 10 years old, whether you're 80 years old, whether you're 90 years old, it's always a learning curve. <laughs> it's always like the life, your life is going to be about learning to yoke with Jesus. So you cannot rely on what has happened 10 years ago or 3 months ago. You have to yoke with him now. Because it's a learning process. And that's why, you know, humility and teachability should be at the center of every Christian. Yeah? It was so amazing going here to Indonesia again and now there's a bunch of young guys going with, you know. But I've learned, you know. Never think that you've arrived, you know. <laughs> because you can learn something from everyone and anybody around you that confesses the name of Jesus. And then it's sometimes that introvert that never says a word. It's that one sentence. <laughs> that just like, boom, hits you like a hammer, you know. And you think like, oh, okay, Lord. Probably if you can speak through a donkey, you can speak through me. Okay, I didn't say him, I said me. Okay, so, but... <laughs> But it's crazy that if, if we are not teachable, we will miss the moments where we can actually yoke together with God. And so a lot of Christians, what we do is we pray wrongly. We say, oh Lord, please be with me. Oh Lord, please be here. And it's not life. The Christian life is not inviting God into your life. It's God's invitation for you to come into his life, what he's doing. So God invites you, he says, come to me. I'm not going to come to you. Come to me, you know. And so when our prayer life begins to change, and say, God, what are you doing in Stellenbosch? I want to be part of that. Your whole outlook on life changes. Because God is moving. You know, something that really challenges me is what the angels say. Isaiah 6 talks about it. It says, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God is working. God is doing things. In your life, in your family's lives, God is always at work. And the, uh, the thing is, is, how do I discern what God is doing? I must first come. And then I must learn. So every day when I wake up, I say, Lord, what are you doing today? I want to be part of that. Where are you moving? And Lord, when I meet people, you've already done something in their hearts. I'm not going to try and do something for you. I'm doing something with you. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> And that makes life so much easier because it's not this massive burden that, ooh, I must be this perfect Christian and I must go out there and I must stand on the street corner and shout and preach and, you know, maybe some people are going to hear and other people are going to spit, but, oh, we're being persecuted for Jesus, you know. Well, I said, like, Lord, where are you moving and what are you doing? Because God is always at work. And that's why prayer is so important. That's why we learn in prayer what God is doing. Because then prayer comes from a place of authority because you've seen what God is saying, you know what he's doing, and you can work with him and declare it over your life, over the lives of the people around you. And this is how he says, because I am gentle, God is gentle, is lowly in your heart. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. More than ever, the, the church in the West and the world in the West is struggling with depression, anxiety, heaviness, 
Most people on this campus, students, the top 5% of our country is on some sort of medication. They say almost 70% of students in Stellenbosch is on some sort of coping me mechanism when they study. Some sort of pills, some sort of stuff. So don't for a moment think that our world is together. Nothing wrong with that stuff because sometimes people have to go through a season. Sometimes, you know, but it means that we must realize we are in a broken society. We are people that are in need of God. <laughs> and that's what he says. You will find rest for your souls. How do you find rest for your souls? Yoke together with Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Walk with Jesus. <laughs> and he says, my burden, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. We turn to your neighbor and say, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So Gary, who is a vet, got me this thing. He's, he saw it somewhere. But this is a typical example of a yoke. Okay, Max, come here, will you please? I'm going to use you a little bit. Okay, and Ruben. Okay. Now, now Ruben, don't really have a neck because he's like so such a big hucker. But this, this is the example. Now you find different types of yokes that would be used in oxes. But now Max is um, getting married at the end of the year, you know. But, but if you are like a bit thinner, he is a big guy. Okay, Max, you are a big guy. You're, you're a great guy. But Reuben is bigger, okay. <laughs> so you can choose which one is the strongest. I'm not talking spiritually. I'm just talking physically today, okay. But... But this is the, ooh, no this. Okay. If you, if you yoke together with somebody, it means you've learned that the, the one strength connecting, you can feed off the other one's strength. But some of us, when we yoke together, is we're always 10 steps ahead. Now, Reuben is the strongest physically. And so I want you to take two steps when Max takes one. Okay, go. Okay, go, two steps when he takes one. Okay, Ooh. <laughs> Okay, just be careful of your neck, you must still get married. Okay, you must still, okay, so. Okay, so, if, if the one takes two steps and the other one takes one, what's happening? You're going in circles. Okay, and it's such a beautiful picture. Okay, you, you guys must stand here for the rest of the sermon. Just take your hand and put it there, okay. But, but so some of us, when we want to yoke with God, we're always like running ahead of him. And some of us, if Reuben is now Jesus, you know, we're ahead or we're behind. We take one, Jesus wants to take two steps and we take one. But then you're always going to go in a circle. And that's what happened to the Israelites. So many people that cannot yoke with God. And uh, one's going to fast, burn out. The one's going to slow, always feel spiritually intimidated and feel like they've got nothing to give. And so for each one of us, the challenge, and this is what Jesus invites you to, and he invites us as a congregation, as a community to, is to yoke together with him. We don't have the yoke of another church. And we're not competing with another church. As the body of Christ in Stellenbosch, yes, we're also yoking together. But it's so important that you then find out, okay, as an individual or in my family, how do I yoke together with him? Okay, so take one step each. Okay, okay, turn that way, turn that way. Okay, now, now walk around the church. Okay, 
<laughs> but it's beautiful. Because the strength, when two people come together and yoke together, the strength of the two combined. You've all heard the story of when two horses pull together, the multiplication effect when you come together and yoke together. And that's what's so important about the Christian life, is yoking with God. Okay, I'll go show yourself to the parents' room up there, okay? No, no, the one is before the other one now. Okay. But the amazing, the amazing place that God calls us to is first to yoke with, with God. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about how do I actually yoke with God? How do I enter into that place? And so a lot of people feel either intimidated by other Christians or some people feel like, oh, you know, I'm always ahead. And, and then there's like this striving and this performance while God actually says, no, I want you to yoke together with me. But also as a congregation. And that's also invitation I want to give to some people that sit on the fringes is come and yoke with us. Because otherwise you're always going to get offended. You're always going to like, oh yeah, those people there at Shofar. But church is not the building. It's not what happens here on a Sunday. It's people that yoke together with Christ. And wow, then if, if we can come to a place of unity, how much more when we come together with other churches? <laughs> But we can't find unity there if we can't even find unity in agreement here. Do you agree with me? <laughs> and so pray about this. What God, what does it mean for me to yoke together with other believers? And we ended off last week by talking about bearing each other's burdens. <laughs> Where I realized like, wow, if it's tough in your life, if, you, if it's tough, then it's tough, going tough with me. If, it's, if, it's, if there's a breakthrough in your life, it's a breakthrough for me. Because we're not competing. We're burdening together. And that's why this task, this service, you can just put up that other screen with the ox, oxen coming together. There's a picture of another type of yoke. They're different yokes, but it's like two people pulling together. And it's also true for our marriages. If you, if you are divided, if you can't agree on stuff, then a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's what scripture says. Because why? It's about learning to yoke together. And we are so different. We are so different, you know. I told the young adults at the adults camp, and it's, this is just between the two of us, okay? Don't tell anybody else, you know. But my wife and I, you know, she never shares a toothbrush. So I can open up a toothbrush shop of all her toothbrushes that I've used, and then she doesn't use them again, you know. And I said, but you said in the vows... What is mine is yours and what is yours is mine. Yeah, but not my toothbrush, you know. So I have like this whole bag full of toothbrushes because every time she goes and buys herself a new one, she's actually got a couple of spare ones that she hides away. And so the biggest fun for me is to find out where does she hide her toothbrushes, you know. But we are so different because I don't mind sharing toothbrushes. I grew up in a boys' school, you know. But for some people, don't use my vaslapi and don't use my toothbrush. What is vaslapi in English, you know? Yamalapi. Huh? Face wash thing. Face cloth, yeah. Face glossy. My vaslapi. It's just better in Afrikaans, that one word. Okay, vaslapi, okay? So, but we are so different. That doesn't mean we need to conform to be the same. But we must be transformed. 
That's what the Christian life is about, is learning how do I even work together with this small group, these people that are so different than me, but each one of them, they've got fish and bread to bring. And, and the challenge comes when the people that run too fast run ahead of the people that are the slow cookers, the more people that like check stuff out, you know, and we all need to get there together. And we need to learn to yoke with Christ concerning that. So the third character that we're going to talk about is quickly just to end off this morning because I basically just repeated the last Sunday stuff, but is the character of Joshua. The reason why we're talking about different characters because each one of them had a different burden. Amos had a burden to bring people back to God, the repentance. Nehemiah had the burden to rebuild the church, Israel, to seek God's restoration in people and in families. Joshua had a burden to lead people into the promises of God. And tonight we're going to talk about Daniel, the non-compromising one who had a burden not to compromise. And so it's so beautiful to learn through scripture and read the stories of people that had different burdens on their lives, but tells us so much of God's heart. But, but they were saying yes to that calling. They were all imperfect. But they said yes to the will of God and said, God, like Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish his work. Wow, may that be our prayer. Lord, my will, my, my food, like the daily food I eat, John 4, like the daily food I eat is to do your will and to finish your work. Because I'm working with Christ. I'm not working for him. Whatever I'm doing, I'm not trying to impress him. And that's why a lot of Christians cannot walk in their authority because they don't know their identity in Christ. They don't know what God has called them. So we're always like thinking, like, what, what am I supposed to do? You know? But once you're in that place of rest with God, once you're yoking with him, once you're in step with the Holy Spirit, the authority of God comes. Because now your life is a life of obedience. I'm just obedient to what he's called me. I'm not doing a lot of things. I'm not playing church. I'm not just going through life trying to figure out. I'm actually yoking with Jesus and I'm yoking with his people. And if that means to me, maybe you, all I can do is pray or all I can do is uh, go to the Me Too mentoring or all I can do is like, hey, host people here in the foyer or maybe go to the children's church. I'm, I'm yoking together with a lot of people because we understand we want to raise up a next generation. We want to raise up a generation of worshippers. Or maybe I'm a giver. Maybe, I, I don't know what, but, but everyone must fulfill their part. The challenging thing about that little boy with the fish and the bread is I think there were many more people that had food. <laughs> and that's why Jesus says, bring the fish and the bread to me. I'm going to multiply it. Don't go and run off and try and multiply it yourself. Just bring it to me. And then when Jesus prays over that fish and bread, whoa, it multiplies. Father, I thank you. That's what Jesus prayed. Father, I thank you. And right there, he gives it back to them. And then in their hands, in the disciples' hands, the fish, the fish and the bread started to multiply. But bring your fish and your bread. Yoke together with Jesus. Jesus could probably stand there and say, Oh, Father, come on. Let the fish fall out of the sky. Bring it on, you know. Or, or, or let, the, let, let the stones appear into bread. Why would he wait for a boy to bring fish and bread? Because he wants to work with us. He wants you to bring your little bit and see how it multiplies. Now sometimes God can make the fish fall out of the sky. My, I have a mother-in-law. She is crazy for Jesus. 
So one day they were going to Strasbourg, I think, one of these places. My father loves fishing. And he said, well, he's not going to come back unless there's a fish in his hands. And so what happens is he's there for the first day and now she sits at home. She's waiting for him for the fish and he doesn't catch any fish. I think it was the second day, doesn't catch any fish. So now she goes down, she goes to check out where he is. She says, Lord, this is going to be a miserable holiday for me because my husband is going to stand at the fish water. So will you please give us a fish, a live fish, Lord, so that we can just, because once she has that fish, wonderful. So she's praying while he's standing there at the water. And the next moment, a massive fish eagle comes over, flying with a fish in its claws, and he drops a fish in the tree. So she gets up into the tree, gets the fish, she goes to him and says, here's your live fish, come home. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, there's ways to bring the fish out of the air. Okay, so Jesus can bring the fish out of the air, but he still used the eagle. Okay, so that, that's beside the point. But, so God can do anything. He can provide a coin in a fish yeah, to pay taxes, you know. So, but that's, hey, how big is God? And are you willing to step out to, with him? Are you willing to come to that place to yoke with him? And this is what he says to Joshua. Joshua, and after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. There's so much we can learn about how God deals with Joshua. He says, Joshua, the past is behind you. Stop thinking that Moses must do it when I've called you for this yoke and this burden. Stop blaming Moses. Let the past be behind you. Forget about Moses. Moses is dead. Too many of us are hanging on to the Moseses of our lives. And he says, Moses, my servant, he said, now therefore, he says, arise, get up from where you are, because I've got a mandate, I've got a will for you. He says, arise, you, you, you have to do something, you have to arise, don't just sit there, don't talk about Moses, mob about Moses, moan about Moses, murmur about Moses. Because in your own eyes, obviously the people are thinking like Moses is the great leader, but who's Joshua, you know? God says, stop, stop, leave it behind you. Stop making excuses. Stop going into the past. I've chosen you to do something. And then he says this beautiful verse, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon you, I've given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river. So now God gives him the promise. We always need the promise. We always need to say, God, what is your will? What is your promise? So God gives him a promise. Every place your feet shall walk on, that place is yours to take. Now remember we're talking about rest and entering into the yoke of the Lord. So now what God does is God defines to Joshua exactly what that means. He says to him, every place, this is, this is the, the promise, where your feet, feet is going to walk on, that is yours to take. And now he says, this is the boundaries in which I want you to operate. He says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So God actually defines him. He says, this is the boundaries. This is the place I want you to operate. Don't go outside of it. This is my place of rest. The promised land. Now the promised land was full of giants. 
but it was still God's resting place for them. There were massive things he had to conquer. But he says, God says, I'm going to be with you. And this is, with the promise comes the presence. God says, the key to you making it in the promised land is the fact that I am with you. <laughs> Yo. So, so God doesn't give us a promise or a will to do or a mission as a church or something to do. He says, I'm with you. Don't forget that because otherwise the promise can become so huge. Oh, you need to do the will. You need to conquer this land. You need to go and conquer and make it so great. No, the key is my presence with you. As you're going to fulfill the promise. As you're going to walk in it. But he says, this is clearly, this is the space you need to operate. Don't try to do more. Don't try to do less. This is the area I want you to take. Because this is my promise for you. And now verse 6, now he says, now what, what, what do I want to tell you? As you're going to go, you're going to need some stuff. <laughs> and he says it a couple of times. Be strong and good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Now when God says something twice or three times, you must take a, put attention. He says, where are you going to go? You are going to need strength and courage. To really walk in my promise. And yes, my presence is with you. Only be strong and courageous. He says, arise. Because, <laughs> hey, the past is going to come and try to tell you a lot of things. The giants are going to try to tell you a lot of things. And then the people around you, they're going to try and tell you a lot of things. <laughs> what you cannot do. Stop listening to what you cannot do. <laughs> Listen to what God says. He wants to do with you and through you. He says, only be strong and very, very courageous. Now he goes like, very courageous. That you may observe to do according to all that the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. He says, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. He says, don't, don't get distracted. You're going to have a lot of confidence, very courageous. You're going to need to be courageous to step up to this place. But don't look, don't get distracted. Don't, don't let the little stuff, let your main thing be your main thing. <laughs> That's basically what he says to him. And then he says, well, the tool I'm going to give you, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. So he says to him, well, this is the boundaries. This is the space I want you to operate in. I want you to be courageous when you do this. But don't do it without my presence and don't do it without my word. And a lot of people go into life, a lot of people go into stuff. You know, the, the word for us for this year is be strong, be stand. Let's stand. Because God is looking for people that will just stand. And you know how many times you have to hold on to that word? Because God has got a word for your life and God has got a word for every season that you're in and God has got a word for us as a church, the community we belong to. And it's so amazing when God begins to say, yes. And so I love how God comes to encourage Joshua. He says, remember, don't forget, be strong. Yeah, yeah, but Lord, you know, I faded, so many things faded away. I'm so discouraged. Because Lord, it's just like, it doesn't seem like it's happening. It's getting worse. <laughs> How many of you have like, when you've started to pray, then stuff gets worse. Yeah? Come on. 
It just seems like you drift further away from the promise of God. You know, the giants become bigger. But the amazing thing is when they went into this and with the spies and all of that stuff, you know, all the other spies saw themselves as grasshoppers in the eyes of the giants. But not Joshua. Mm -mm. He saw the honey. He saw, he saw something different. Only two spies could see what God is doing. The other ten submitted to the fear. They compromised. There's not a way we can go in here. There's not a way we're going to make it. Oh, but two saw him. And then his friend Joshua, you know, later on when they have turned around, you know, I love it what he says, when he was 40 years old, the second time when they got around to the promised land again, he was 80. He says, I'm stronger now than what I was the first time when we came to this place. And Joshua says, go to the high place. Go take it. Yeah. You know? But how many times do we just drift away? We get discouraged. We sort of lose focus of why we're here as believers. No, no, but I'm playing church, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm doing church. God says there's a promised land. Not just for you, but for your children's children. And then we all know the story at the end, Joshua 24, when Joshua says, and he, they've conquered everything, they stand there, and he says, okay, today choose life or death. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's not many people that can say that at the end of their lives. I was looking at this one picture of a group, 1997 of us. A group of people that went to China and was from different churches and all that stuff. And the sad thing for me was like to look at some of the faces and realize like, sure, this guy isn't following God anymore. Sure, this guy isn't like, he's not with us anymore. Spiritually, he's compromised. Sure. We all have our stories. And I was sitting there for a moment with this sadness and this like, and I still thought like, yeah, this guy got offended and with all the right he got offended and this guy got hurt and all that stuff. And then I looked at some people and I saw like, wow, this guy's going strong. Wow, this lady's going strong. And then the Lord spoke this of Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. You're going to need a lot of courage. You're going to need a, a lot of boldness. Paul writes and says, fight the good fight of faith. Don't give up. It's a word for some of us. Don't get discouraged. No, but I've got all the reasons to. Well, if God comes and says to you, be strong and courageous, be very strong and courageous. Forget about Moses. Forget about the past. There's a promised land. And we cannot forget that promised land. We cannot forget when we look at South Africa and we look at what's happening around us. People are just like running away in fear, intimidation. And they're talking about it all the time. But there's a group of people that are saying like, sure, we're going to be strong. Because God is looking for one Joshua. God is looking for one Nehemiah. God is looking for one Daniel. One Esther. One Deborah. One Amos. And we all have different stuff that God calls us to. But be strong and courageous. Oh, we get discouraged. We sometimes lose focus. Sometimes we do stuff wrong in our own hearts. But do not lose focus on the promise of God, the presence of God, but the word of God in your life. Because God has given words for many people here. He's spoken a word over your life and he's going to make it come to pass. Amen? Because he's true. He's faithful. So hang on to that word. Remind him of that word. Remind him of that, those promises. But Moses is dead. And there's a lot of people, Christians, all 
over the world, not just in South Africa, but a lot of places as we went overseas again, just connected with Christians. There's, a, there's almost like a frustration building up. A, a sort of a, a discontent with the things of the world where people say there must be more. There must be a promised land. And God is coming back to a church that is perfect, spotless, without wrinkle, perfect through the eyes of Jesus, not because we as humans are perfect. I mean. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.